I don't know. How will we get there? Come on, let's go. It's David Haynes Magical Movie Hour. That smell power straight into the back seat. Hey guys. Welcome back to KMSC Dragon Radio 1500 AM. Uh, you're listening to Dave and Haynes Magical Movie Hour. Uh, Alright, here we go. I'm just uh, having some trouble with the mic here. Uh, Alright, it seems to be working now. Fine. So, uh, Haynes isn't with me today. Man, this is <laughs> man. This mic is really giving me some trouble today. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, all right, it seems to be working fine now. Uh, it just seems to be barely coming in now. But uh, we'll deal with the problems as they come along. So uh, just be a solo show for today. Just uh, me talking to the to everyone listening. And uh, with that, we'll. Just, jump right into the into the news this is david and Haynes magical movie hour with the news all right so first off uh we got some pretty big news today uh christopher Plummer. uh he was a very well-known actor he was in a number of films uh, he has passed away sadly today. He was 91. On um, this, actually, uh, I was looking for news uh, just this morning, and <clears throat> it just I saw that in the feed. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" I mean, it seems like so many uh, like those like old, older actors, like celebrities. It seems like they're uh, 20 to 2020 to 2021. It's like there's so many that's passed away. Just these uh this last year and a half, it's really really unfortunate, really. <clears throat> so, uh he was in a number of films, uh like uh most notably probably uh Knives Out, that was his latest film that he was in. Uh he played uh the <clears throat> I'm I'm uh blanking out on the name here, but he did play Harlan Thronby, so the the writer who um who writes all those like murder mystery novels and uh <clears throat> in that in that film he uh I don't I don't think this is really a spoiler but in that film the character uh uh dies unfortunately and then the family uh, really struggles with uh w- with the fortune that he's he hasn't left them with anything and that was the character he played and he did a pretty good job in that film uh, one of his first films uh, was Sound of Music with uh, Julie Andrews, and that was a very notable film back in the day. I actually saw it uh, recently, like uh, this over winter break. It's actually pretty good. I probably one of my favorite uh, musicals. Just really took me by surprise, just the, of the quality that was put in there. And of course, I have to mention uh, Star Trek VI, which he played General Chang and. He was he was great in that, and it was it was a great presence opposite uh, William Shatner in the original cast of uh, the original series. So uh, he had a number of great roles, and he'll actually be the uh, topic of the week this week. 
uh, once the the news has finished. Uh, and I just have an open topic talking about the films that he was in and uh, kind of the impact that was left by those films. All right, moving on. Uh, Zack Snyder's version of Justice League has officially been rated R. Uh, this is pretty nice news to hear. Um, so the film won't hold back in its punches. Um, uh, you'll see the consequences of every everything behind it. Um, Snyder's Batman v Superman uh, director's cut was unrated. So I think that Justice League will be similar to that in the the violence and excuse me the violence and um the content in there where it's a bit more mature and uh the some of the content I'm sure would have would have been uh cut out of the original uh release if Snyder had remained on board as director and the studio the studio would probably have uh cut the, the some of the the those uh, uh clips out of there so I th- I think it's really turned this project's turning out well for Snyder's vision he's it's like the the the, on um HBO Max really giving him the full creative control over things and it's really 100% his vision so that's a huge plus uh for all those DC fans out there and just Snyder's fans as well and I'm looking forward to seeing this version of Justice League Uh, as again I was a huge fan of the 2017 version. So hopefully this version will do it justice. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, moving on. Uh, Tom Holland, uh, the actor for Spider-Man, of course, claims that the new Spider-Man film that he is in is the most ambitious standalone superhero film that he's seen. So obviously, Tobey Maguire and Andrew uh, Garfield are going to be in there, uh, just basing it off of Holland's claims. Because, of course, you got uh, Alfred Molina is going to be back as Doc Ock, uh, Dr. Octopus. <clears throat> and I don't, I'm not sure who else will be in that film. Hopefully we can see a little more uh, J. John Jameson, you know, J.K. Simmons. Probably one of the best characters in the original <laughs> Raimi trilogy. And just a, a fun presence to have there. And maybe he'll be in this project as well. Uh, I guess we'll see when it finally comes out. Uh, either streaming or theatrically, I, we don't really know at this point. And then, yeah, uh, I really hope that uh, McGuire and uh, Holland and Garfield all share some screen time together. Because I think that's really, really what, what the fans want to see. All those Spider-Man actors, you know, coming together. The version, three different versions of Spider-Man, all kind of different from each other. Where Holland is kind of like the Iron Man light version you know uh garfield it's kind of like he's he was the or everything was technological with him he had the well i shouldn't say as much as technological as uh holland's but he did have the web shooters on his wrists and where mcguire it's like the webs that came out of him were completely organic uh where it's like he when he was bitten by the spider the 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 webs came out naturally from him whereas uh other versions of the character it seems like uh, they're the webs are like they're, they're manufactured and and they they're not as organic or they're not organic at all. Okay, so there we have that. Hopefully, uh, 
our predictions will come true for that film. Moving on to some more uh, intriguing news. Uh, Skydance is competing with lunch, with the Legendary Studio on Buck Rogers, uh, specifically on the uh, adaptations that they're both doing. Uh, Skydance is in the middle of uh, development of a film adaptation while Legendary is developing a series. So <clears throat> I've heard that there may be some legal battles possibly coming into the future. Who knows? I don't know. Just for the rights of the character. Although I've heard that there is some work that isn't copyrighted because I'm not sure how true this is, but uh, there are some works, there's, there are some works, it's like if an, an, uh, in a specific amount of time has passed, the copyright, uh, uh, it doesn't exist anymore, so it's like free to the public, it's public domain. Uh, from what I recall, the first couple of novels of John Carter are now in the public domain, I think. The copyright expires after 100 years. So, from my understanding, anybody can do an adaptation of uh, Prince of, Princess of Mars or the first three novels of John Carter since 100 years have passed since they were written. Uh, don't hold me to that. I'm not sure if that is the case exactly, but from what I've heard, uh, the name John Carter can't be in the title, whereas when Disney had the rights, they could have uh, the John Carter name in their title. So there's... So that's kind of an interesting situation. I'm, and then I've heard that there's some bu original Buck Rogers content that was written more than 100 years ago. And from just based off of what information I have, uh, it seems as though one company has the rights of the character, but then the company is using the story through public domain. So I'm not sure. Um, standing by uh, copyright in expiration. I'm not sure if one studio has the right to have the rights of the character over another if it is in the public domain. If it's in the public domain, anybody can uh, do an adaptation from that source material. Alright, I think that's everything I had to say about uh, copyright and public domain. I'm probably boring. Some of you did a sleep, but, you know, that's alright. The more you know. Alright, Last piece of news that I could find. The original Lord of the Rings trilogy will be has been remastered in 4K and will receive a theatrical run in the next couple of months. So from what I've heard, the Lord of the Rings films haven't been, or they ha hadn't been remastered in 4K and it was recently done. And they're going to have like this big showing with like the IMAX. IMAX theaters will be open and then Lord of the the films will be shown uh, wherever theaters are still open. I'm not sure around here if Marcus is, is has reopened because I didn't know that they that they closed uh, in the fall just because of how COVID was going on and um <clears throat> and how that situation kind of uh, had gotten worse to the point of. Uh, that uh, it wasn't safe for theaters to be open. I'm not sure what the current situation is as of now. I do think that some theaters are open, but it really depends on uh, what company and uh, where they are because I think AMC is still closed. Uh, I could be wrong. I haven't looked in a while, but I don't know. It could be the case, but 
if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, you know, that's got to be exciting news. I I just got the extended, I just, I'm, I've been watching the extended versions on Blu-ray, so I don't think I'll be going. Uh, but for those of you who are big Lord of the Rings fans and haven't seen the films in a little while, there's something to do, I guess, in this uh, uh, time of uh, COVID. All right. Oh, well, I got through the news a little quicker than uh, we usually do since I'm doing this all alone. That was about, I don't know, 12 minutes. So I think what we'll do, we'll jump into break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the topic of the week, uh, which will be Christopher Plummer Films. So uh, stay tuned. I've got nothing to do today. I'm so bored, and it's Tuesday. You see that every day, man. Don't you have anything going on in your life? At all? No, what's there to do? Have you heard of Film Loop? What's that? It's a club that meets every Tuesday on Zoom. We talk about films, discuss different topics, and watch the latest movies. Jai, that sounds like fun. Now I can spice my life up a little. Now you are seeing the light at last. Come to Film Loop, everyone. It's a blast. But if you don't show, there will be no mercy. Hayne here. I got an important announcement for you. Dave and Haynes is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Just search Dave and Haynes Magical Movie Hour, listen to old episodes, or maybe even rewatch <laughs> or listen to this one again. And enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to Dave and Haynes Magical Movie Hour on KMSC Dragon Radio, 1500 AM. And of course, my co-host Hayne is not present for this show, but he's here with us in spirit. So, anyways, uh, <clears throat> today we'll be we'll be talking about uh, Christopher Plummer, who sadly passed away today, and he was 91, and he made so many great movies. He, he was in he was a very talented actor. I mean, he took on a plethora of roles, and he was just exceptional in everything I've seen. So. I thought I'd, you know, I'd talk about him for this show. So, um, I've got a list of films that I'm going to discuss on their, just on, the, on by themselves and his contributions. And honestly, um, I think today we'll be ending around 3.15 because it's, de- uh, it's I'm just going to be honest, it's definitely much harder to do a show by yourself if there's no one else to bounce back from and talk to about each topic because, uh, you know, honestly, it's like if you'd split for an hour show, if you split between two people, it'd be like half an hour of talking time between the two of you. So, and if I'm doing it by myself, it's just an hour of me kind of wandering around. So hopefully uh, <clears throat> we can get some good content in here in this episode, even though it may be a tad bit shorter. Well, we'll see what happens. If I have nothing else to say and if it's just so many pauses, then we'll stop there. Okay, so, Sound of Music, uh, as I said before, I had just seen this recently. Uh, this was coming off of, Julie Andrews was in this, she was great in that. She was coming off of uh, Mary Poppins, which, of course, she won the Oscar for Best Actress in 1964. Uh, another good movie, but I think Sound of Music is much better. I think this is a five-star movie, and I... I 
it's just so much fun to watch and immerse yourself with. What I like about this film particularly is how serious things are when it comes towards the climax. Um, it's brilliantly done where it's like it's very innocent and uh, it's very fun the first couple of acts, but then there's always this. Uh, I could tell just watching they were, they were that the seriousness was and the dramatic elements were uh, going to come around the corner uh, sooner or later, uh, just because of certain scenes put in there and like just little tid little little things that I that caught my eye. I'm like, okay, that that's going to lead on to something more. So um, I'm gonna. So the time period was, of course, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, sound music takes place in Aust Austria uh, before uh, World War II. I believe it was in the late 30s. Uh, so during that time, obviously, uh, what was going on in Germany, uh, Hitler rose to power, and uh, his influence was slowly spreading over to Austria and Christopher Plummer's character, Captain Von Trapp. I, he's such a great character. I mean, um, he's very, his, his character is very, um, nationalistic in uh, Austrian tradition. And he doesn't want to see his country be under the influence of the likes of you know, the, the Nazis. And throughout the film, he's, he's kind of fighting off that influence. He's kind of ignoring what will eventually happen. And it's, it's kind of, a, it's actually kind of a, a sad, a sad th story. Uh, and if you look at the big picture, I mean, the film is full of all these fun moments, you know, all these musical numbers, but it's like at the end, it kind of, it, it just hits you like, Oh my God, it, it's kind of a, a terrible situation, but uh, they end, end up surviving. And, I've read like on just watching YouTube clips, people are like surprised that it's, it was rated G. <laughs> it's like with the inclusion of all of all that dark stuff, and then I'm like, they, they, I've read comments like, "How is this rated G? That they have they have um they have all these elements in there that it's like should ha at least have warranted like a, a PG rating." I also think it's funny that Planet of the Apes is rated G when there's a bunch of a bunch of uh, more violent stuff in there. I guess uh, the rating boards at the time, because I think, yeah, they came came out within five years of each other. The ratings board were like, uh, kids are tough. They can handle it. We'll, we'll give it a G rating. <laughs> yeah, and it, it seems like, I, I believe that some some films are rated uh, too high uh, these days with uh, the MCU films. It's like they're really, they're honestly very tame, but they get, still get the PG-13 rating. Obviously, Endgame, I think that's deserves a PG thirteen. But like films like Avengers, that I think that should have been PG. I want, actually, I'm going to double check the rating for a second. Uh, I I think I'm right on the rating. I just want to see if if I'm wrong. Uh, uh but I do believe that it is PG thirteen. Yeah, it is PG thirteen. I I think that film deserves a PG to be honest. Because it just the content in there is very it's very tame. Like pretty much anybody of any age can watch Avengers, and and on the other, nothing bad's gonna happen. They're not gonna be waking up with, with nightmares or something. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot worse stuff than there's a lot worse PG thirteen films than Avengers, and that should have been PG. Anyways, back to the back to the sound of music. I, I 
sometimes it's like your your mind wanders for a bit and it's like you're thinking about all these things and it's like uh, it's very interesting what happens when you're just talking and um you're thinking about things and how topics relate to one another anyways uh uh, what I like about sound music was was again like the inclusion of that dark stuff, and then it kind of builds up from there. Uh, and then, of course, the musical numbers are very fun to listen to. I actually, I got a record of of that score for Christmas. It, it's uh, it's probably one of my favorite musical scores. Like everything is very, every song is very memorable. Uh, I think my favorite would probably have to be. Uh, I like the I honestly like the the title song of the sound of music that's that's one of my favorite songs and then I also like uh so long farewell oh theater saying goodbye <laughs> that's a fun song uh to sing as well yeah I, there there are other musicals that's like just they drag on with the music just oh come on just get, to, get. We already sung for like fifteen minutes and then you they get you get like a a one minute break and then they jump right into another song i'm like and then there, there were times i'm just sitting there going can we just go get can we just actually have like a, a actual dialogue scene for once but with sound of music i think they balance that out perfectly there's it's a long it's like a three-hour film but they balance out like the the normal dialogue scenes uh with uh with the musical scenes and i think they do that very well whereas others it's like they lean too heavily on the musical side of things. I think Willy Wonka does this very well too. <clears throat> there isn't too much uh, musical numbers and they don't get carried away with that. That's what I really appreciate about, that's why I like, that's when a musical is really great, when it knows when to balance out the drama and the silliness and how over the top things can get. And everything is a huge balancing act. <clears throat> and that's, Yes. <laughs> and then there's also, you'll also know there's times where it's like I'm, I got this thought and then I kind of forget what, what I'm going to say. I'm like, uh, kind of a brain fart and then try to remember what you say, what you're going to say. Uh, what I, I, Robert Wise is slowly becoming one of my favorite directors. Uh, and he directed Sunny Music as well as, uh, I'm blanking out on, Oh, okay. Okay, I'll just list off the the films he I have known him to direct. He directed the Sand Pebbles, which is I th think is an underrated historical film. Of course, he directed uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, he also did The Day the Earth Stood Still. So he's done a, a number of he did a number of genres that a very div diverse amount of genres that some other directors ha didn't reach. So. It's very cool to see like a director do like a, a wide range, whereas other directors it's like they mainly do one genre and they maybe they'll dabble a little in like in something else, but then they'll go back to uh, the genre they're comfortable in that, uh, and that really brings up uh, Scorsese because he'll he's done ninety five percent of his films are crime, he's only done like a a few that are different. Last Temptation of Christ and Aviator come to my come to my mind but he seems like he, he of course he's like a, a master at uh directing those crime films but he's it's just one of those examples of directors like staying in one genre and not really branching out too often 
Whereas Robert Wise, he seemed to be doing so many different projects. Oh, well, he, of course, he co-directed West Side Story. That's the one I was blanking on. Uh, probably mo his most well-known film, and I forgot about it. <clears throat> okay, so... I was thinking about sounding music. What was I going to say? Okay, I was talking about the the songs. Uh, okay, and oh, that I know what I remember now. There, <clears throat> so Christopher Plummer's character of Von Trapp, he's kind of still mourning the death of his wife. And then Julie Andrews comes in, and he learns to love again, really. And uh, he's very disconnected with his kids. There's a very funny scene where he's still acting like a he was because his the backstory of his character he's uh he was a naval captain. So the first scene where we seen him in he's he has this whistle he's whistling his first kids to come downstairs and they come down this neat file line, um, very much like um when, uh, when the captain of a ship calls for <clears throat> the, the, his shipmates to attention and they all come down in a a neat line and then um. He, he and then he inspects them, and I—that's probably the funniest, <laughs> one of the funniest scenes of that movie. And then, um, one of my favorites is when he hears his kids singing for the first time in a while, and then he—they're—they're they're singing the uh, the sound of music song, and then he himself recognizes that song and he starts singing that to them, and that's the first time he really opens up to his kids in quite a while, probably, uh first time since his wife had passed away for that character uh i don't know i've watched i've only seen the film once but i'd happily rewatch it again whenever uh yeah i i don't uh, i don't know what else more to say about that film so i'll just move on to the, to the next one i have on the list so i'll just give it a, a five out of five it's a great fun movie uh uh, Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer both they knock it out of the park and uh, the all the kid actors they do a pretty good job for their ages and it can be a tough uh, time finding a, a quality uh, child actor and uh, one last thing I think the production values are spot on and they're great it's the film's shot very well I there's a number of scenes that are very uh, that I, I just love how it, it was set up and where the camera was positioned. I, there was one scene that comes to my mind when uh, Von Trapp and uh, Maria are on are in the gazebo, and it was, it was at night, and it's like they, they're silhouettes against the the big opening. And I, I, just, I just, when I when I first saw that with my parents, because I was watching it with my parents, I'm like, that's a great shot, man. And they they kind of looks at me like. <laughs> Why weren't you an engineer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you have a film student like who's really into that thing, it's like you're gonna. If you watch a movie with them, it's like you're gonna get annoyed with like them saying, "Oh, look at that shot," or, "Man, that that." I liked how that was staged or whatever. <laughs> it's just a fun thing to point out. And you're, after watching *Sound of Music*, I really felt inspired to make just to make films. Whenever you watch. A film that really inspires you, you know it's a great movie. Okay. So, uh, moving on to the next film I have on the list, uh, Waterloo. This is a film I watched the first time uh, last year. 
uh, Waterloo is of the fall of Napoleon. Of course, he he was fi- he was defeated at the Battle of Waterloo. So the story behind that was that uh, Napoleon uh, had been overthrown and he was exiled to some small island in the middle of nowhere. And the uh, Allied powers, well, um, the reason why they didn't like Napoleon is because he wasn't a monarch, not the traditional monarch, and they really wanted to reestablish the monarchy in France. Uh, this was after the uh, French Revolution had taken place. Uh, it's really unfortunate, the French Revolution, because it's kind of a strange thing comparing it to the American Revolution to the French, because obviously the American Revolution, once they had gained their independence... Uh, uh, the government formed and everything where it's like the French it's like they switched between a, a monarchy and kind of uh, the Napoleon being emperor for a, a short period of time so this took place in 1814 to 1815 where Napoleon returned to France uh, King Louis the 18th which in this film was played by the legendary Orson Welles uh, sent French troops to intercept Napoleon to make him surrender. This is such a, a great historical event that took place. It's almost unbelievable to the point of fiction, where Napoleon, wherever he was confronted by his his troops, uh, they never fired a shot at him. Where it's like he he always convinced them to join with him to retake France, and they they would all. There's a great scene in that film that depicts this, where. Uh, Rod Steiger, who plays Napoleon in that film, he says, if you wish to kill your emperor, here I am. And then they lower their arms and like, uh, and then they say, via France. It's such a great scene and one of the best in the film, especially in that first half of that film. I don't know. I've, I've always been interested in history. And then whenever like there's like a historical moment that it's like so epic and a great then it's like it comes it goes to the point of being it so awesome to see on film so uh louis the 18th got the boot from france and uh napoleon took over and of course the allied uh powers at that time i think were prussia which is now germany or eventually turned into germany uh britain and uh I think those are the two main powers uh, that were depicted in the film. There there were other countries. I'm just blanking on, on out on them at the moment. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, Napoleon decides that he needs to take a major offensive. So, it all comes together in the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, Christopher Plummer plays the Duke of Wellington and... It's a fun character to watch because in Waterloo, there's no protagonistic, antagonistic uh, sides to it. It's like they're very, both sides are relatable. Although you could say Napoleon's the protagonist where it's like the uh, Duke of Wellington could be viewed as the antagonist. But it's not very, it's not depicted at all like that. It's very, it's very gray. Or it's like some war films, it's like it's very set where it's like these guys are on the right side, these are on the and these are the bad guys where it's like this film was depicted as real as possible and uh, both sides um, are portrayed uh, um, 
or betrayed like in a, in a good way. So it's very it's a very interesting thing. Like you 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 don't see that too often in films where neither side is completely unlikable <laughs> or they're not shown to be uh, the villains in this thing. And that's one reason why I love Waterloo and also because everything was done for real. There was no CG. There was literally like thousands of extras like on horses and going going after each other. Uh, and uh, the final battle, which Battle of Waterloo, which lasts last forty minutes of the movie. Uh, I I think it I I don't think it lasts for. It doesn't feel like it lasts for forty minutes. It's like uh, it's it's paced very well. All the actions uh connect to each other, and it, it just. It's it's not it's never it does it, it's never too slow, um. It, it doesn't take too much time to stop. Where it's like other uh, films I've seen, like Transformers, like there's so much action going on. Where it's like it it, it okay I, I I phrase that the wrong way. I, I shouldn't say it doesn't take time to stop because Waterloo it has times where it's like it it stops for a bit. Where it's like where the generals are thinking on thinking of a new strategy. And just the reactions of the soldiers where films like Transformers just nonstop action, 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 action. And it's like you don't have a chance to uh, stop to catch your breath and like really see what's going on. Where it's like in Waterloo, they with the action, they do that much better. It's like you, it takes time to, to sink in what's going on. Um, I, I really like the, the build up to the battle itself where it's like the Napoleon's having breakfast with his generals. Uh, talking about the the terrain and how that could hinder them in their attack, and it's just those moments. It's like I that I really like watching, just that m- amount of detail that the filmmakers did that put into this film that may uh, that other filmmaker directors or writers may may not have thought of. Uh, there's a great video on YouTube that really does a great better job in explaining this than I am right now. Uh, if you're familiar familiar with the channel of History Buffs, I I, I really like that. Watching that channel, I'm subscribed to that. Um, he has a video on on this film and um, really dives into the historical accuracy and how that that's like I think that's the main point of his of History Buffs, where it's like they uh, he uh, the, the the narrator he really goes over if the film is accurate to how to history and if that actually happened in Waterloo from what, from what, from what I've heard from him is one of the most accurate films that he's seen where it's like the inaccuracies are very small and they don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So that's another plus for this film where maybe others, they take a couple liberties where it seems like they're like, okay, let's take as few liberties as possible. Let's just, write the film as if it's like it, like how it happened in history. You're kind of like transferring information from a history page to the screenplay. So just another admiral, admiral, <laughs> I'm stumbling on my words, admiral, ad, admirable thing that they did for this film where it's like they easily could have um, 
taken several liberties with the story and really done things that wouldn't necessarily make sense. Uh, I think it's about it I have to say about Waterloo. I have a number of other films that are that are probably one of my among my uh, personal favorites that I want to get to, and we're doing pretty well on time. We got maybe we'll be able to hit an hour. We'll see. Okay, so Waterloo, I would give a four out of five. Uh, again, great battle scenes, uh, little character characteristics of Napoleon by Rod Steiger was done well, and of course Christopher Plummer was pretty good as the Duke of Wellington. And at first, I I always get I I always get these ideas after I say I'm going to wrap up, and I'm like, oh wait, I I got to talk about this. Um, he seemed at first he comes off as this like arrogant uh, British British officer or this uh, British general. It's like, oh, would it be ready for him? You know, no sweat. But then that as the film progresses, that adds to the character's likability, and it just adds to his persona because. Um, later in the film, it's like you you really see him care about his soldiers and his troops. Um, you can see that just the uh, expressions on Plummer's faces are has really played play off pretty well. Just if um, his army takes hit, you can really see on his face like he the show of concern. And even before the battle, he's like he's very anxious and worried about it. Even though his outward appearance would seem like he's very confident. And um, towards the end where he has the French backed up in a corner, he offers them the chance to surrender. They declined. And then just the look of the look of disappointment and uh, the look of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to kill all these, all these men or even though they didn't want to surrender, that's just executed very well. That's all I have to say about Waterloo, a war film that I definitely recommend that you guys check out. Okay, so, of course, I'm a Star Trek fan. I gotta talk about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where Plummer plays General Chang, and I think he's one of the better villains in the Star Trek film series. Uh, I don't think he was better than Khan or Christopher Lloyd's Crooge, but I do think that Chang is a very interesting uh, Klingon character, where it's like he quotes Shakespeare all the time, specifically from Hamlet. Um, and he says to be or not to be uh, several times throughout the film. And uh, it's just uh, a great performance from the actor. Uh, what's great about Star Trek Six is that it's an allegory of the relations between the United States and Russia, specifically when the Soviet Union collapsed in the 90s, which was taking place when the film was made. So I thought that's a great allegory to put in there between the Federation and the Klingon Empire, where the Klingons were collapsing and the Federation came to help. And then that film was the first step forward into the two factions becoming friends, which would be many years down the road, which would be seen in the Next Generation series, which... You guys should check out, by the way. So, uh, Plummer's character, uh, he's one of the Klingons who wants to see their two factions like uh, retain their hostilities between uh, between each other. Uh, 
and uh, Kirk is like-minded at the beginning, and then uh, he goes on this arc of realizing that it's better for the future to have those two, you know, not be antagonistic between each other and be friends, which would be much more beneficial. And, uh, yeah, Chang, uh, he has a number of great scenes. Probably, probably the best one is when, is the trial scene where, uh, he just get, goes after Kirk and McCoy who are standing trial because in, in undiscovered country, they're escorting Klingon chancellor Gorkin, who's played by David Warner to peace talks. And then he gets assassinated by a couple of Starfleet officers. And then Kirk's held responsible who's rushed and brought to trial. And just the interaction between, uh, Chang and Kirk, uh, was it was great and it's like you can uh, you could tell that they were uh, they were gonna battle each other at the end which does happen and then there's a there's a dinner scene earlier in that film that really depicts like the uh i don't know i would say kind of the uh host- small hostilities between that are still felt between the federation and the klingons or it's just like um they have different looks or outlooks on different topics. And I think the one of the jokes was that the Klingons thought Shakespeare was a Klingon for some reason. So they were they were quoting Shakespeare to each other. Uh it's just kind of like a running theme throughout the film, and I'm sure many actors are happy to quote Shakespeare. <laughs> That's always an actor's bread and butter, uh, for some reason. And uh, just all those like complicated lines. It's like that are from a time that's hundreds of years ago, and the words don't necessarily. It's from like an old uh, use of the language, and it's like you really have to dive in and, and inspect every single phrasing and like sentence structure to really figure out what everything means. Because I've been to a couple of Shakespeare plays where I'm sitting there. It's a weird thing. It's a weird process to get into that mindset of understanding Shakespeare. Because for some, for a strange reason, the first 15 minutes of a play, it's like you're sitting there, you're very concentrated, like trying to think of what they're trying to say. And then 15 minutes later, it's like you're in. You, I, I could understand 90, I would say 80% of what was said just because it's like you're, you, you start to catch on to, onto what, what's being said. I wish I experienced that when I watched As You Like It and uh, Romeo and Juliet, which I did get to see in my senior year of high school, which were fun plays to watch. But Romeo and Juliet's probably got to take the cake for me since I think it's the it's the better play. Just the, the uh, plot and story were interesting. And, yeah, that was, that was pre-COVID, so... Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, I, everything was okay. And yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, I think Shakespeare is a strange fashion, fascination that storytellers have among actors and uh, filmmakers because it's like uh, those stories really inspired a number of other number of other plots and, and stories. I'm, I'm sure along the course of history. And I think it's great that people still enjoy 
watching Shakespeare and and doing it, even though they don't necessarily understand 100% of what's being said or what's written on the page. So the inclusion of Shakespeare in Star Trek VI, and the title is even taken from a line in Hamlet. I studied Hamlet in 12th grade, so I think the title is The Undiscovered Country, but it's giving an it's with Star Trek. It's given a new, a new definition or context for undiscovered country is the 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 area in which it's the time after death. I think that's what was said. I think that was in the same monologue as the "to be or not to be" when Hamlet did that monologue. You know, the "to be or not to be" that is the question. Whether it's nobler to mind to suffer the. I'm not going to say no that much, to be honest. I forgot the rest. Uh, and, yeah, just a a cool thing to have in there. Uh, so, uh, I don't think I have that much more to say about The Undiscovered Country. Just uh, probably one of my favorite Star Trek movies. Uh, Chang is a good villain. Uh, with And uh, there's scenes in there which, between Kirk and... Chang, it's like where they play off each other, you know, uh, they, they, during their discussions and then the final confrontation when Chang is in the, uh, in the bird of play, bird of prey, uh, that's cloaked, but that can fire against the enterprise. That's a great sequence to watch. And, uh, I think it's funny. Oh, when, uh, because, uh, you can tell Christopher Plummer was having a great time playing the role. It's like he there's so much enthusiasm between, behind like his actions and his lines, uh, especially at the end. It's like you get to tell he's having a good time, and that, that's always fun to see when an actor's an actor's in that right mindset. And I think Plummer even really he loved uh, being in Six, uh, and he I I was watching uh, an interview between him and Shatner, and uh, interesting thing they're both Canadian, uh, a. <laughs> and yeah it's it's a very cool thing uh uh i don't think i have too much more to say about undiscovered country okay uh it's good it goes to the rating i'll give this i i'll give this i uh four and a half out of five uh one of my favorite star trek movies uh it might be my s- as my second favorite or third, I don't know. I'm still debating between uh, Wrath of Khan and Undiscovered Country, but I do think I'm I like Undiscovered Country more, just because um, the, the film itself is much is much more grand and epic. Where it's like you have several different locations. Where Wrath of Khan, it's mostly takes place on Regula One, the Enterprise, and the Reliant, and that's really the three sets that are used uh, there's a there's a couple more but they're, they're not they're very small scale and it looks cheap where it's like undiscovered country even though the budget was tight the money was shoes the budget was tight everything was shoestring they managed to make the film in this epic quality that really stood out to me okay uh the last film i have on this list uh is for those of you know who know me, this is pretty obvious. Somewhere in time, uh, more of an unknown film where 
Plummer, he's not, he's a lead uh, side character, I should say, or lead supporting. And <clears throat> again, he does a very good job in the role. Uh, not necessarily one of his best roles, but he's very, very proficient in the role. And his character is not is not a very likable guy. He's kind of a he's a bit of a jerk actually. <laughs> but there's justification behind that, and he uh, in the film the reasons of him of his character acting the way he does is ex explored a ver for a bit. Uh, Somewhere time is based off the Richard Matheson novel Midtime Return. I uh, I've got to read that. One, I also got to read um, The Omega Man. I have read one Richard Matheson novel. I've read uh, What Dreams May Come. Solid book, but I know he's had better stories. So, Somewhere Time stars Christopher Reeve as Richard Collier. He's coming off of Superman. I think he's he's great in the movie. And then you got the beautiful Jane Seymour, who plays the love interest. Uh, what was her name? Elise McKenna, that's it. And the whole, the basically the whole f film is Christopher Reeve's character going back in time to 1912, where he wants to fall in love with McKenna. Of course, the film is set during the then present day of 1980, and the concept of time travel is interesting in this film because there's no technology; it's all in your head. It's all psychological. It's like, uh, so the process of time travel in somewhere in time is that you have to you have to focus enough of your brain power so that uh, so that um you think that you're in 1912 and there can't be an ounce of doubt in you it's like uh your head has to be in the time of 1912 you have to think to that time and and really think that you are in that time period and that's how you get to 1912 which I don't know. It's a very it's an interesting way to go about things. Um, probably not the greatest <clears throat> thing to explore or, or the greatest method uh, to use because there's all, obviously a number of flaws that are that you can pick in that. But I do think it's an interesting concept to try to do. And maybe if they had explained it a little better, set some rules, like it could have worked a little better. Uh. So, Reeve is able to, or Collier, he's able to uh, travel to 1912, and he meets Maqueda, and then uh, Plummer plays uh, the character of Robinson, who's the man, who's the play manager, and I should say, I should explain a little more on the backgrounds. Uh, Collier is a screenwriter, uh, not a screenwriter, a playwright, and he wants to fall in love with McKenna, who is an actress. And Robinson is the is her manager, who. Uh, Plummer's character is the manager who really wants to protect McKenna from, uh, I guess, breaking her heart or being destroyed by somebody else. And uh, that's really his justification behind wanting to keep those two apart. And I do think uh, the character really wants to fall in, uh, fall in love with McKenna for himself. And that may be another thing that really influence him, influences him to try to drive a wedge between them. Uh, another, uh, one of my favorite movies, um, I, I had seen a video of Oliver Harper who, who does, uh, YouTube, uh, 
uh, YouTube videos on movies uh, or movie reviews, and this is one of them. And for the first time I saw it, I, I thought it was such an intriguing film and just an intriguing story, just the idea of time traveling to fall in love with somebody, just a complete stranger. Such an interesting thing to try to do. And, uh, yeah, I, even though, even with its flaws, I still love the movie, uh, the, the period piece setting and it just the, how it was photographed, uh, the color tones. And what I thought was interesting with 1912, uh, it was a much warmer color palette compared to present day where it's, uh, much more clear and opaque and trans, I should say transparent with, uh, <clears throat> modern day colors, uh, Muted, I should say, in some cases, where somewhere time had that almost sepia-like filter to it. I say almost because there's there's moments where it's like it could be sepia, but it's not as heavy though. And I like that that approach to it too, as well. And the uh, Jean-Claude Schwark, I've seen a few of his films. Uh, Jaws Two was really disappointing. Somewhere in time was the really oh outlier and I'm surprised he was the guy who directed it because I'm not a huge fan of his work and this is the only film that I really like I think it's just down to the performances and the screenplay by Richard Matheson who's I don't know it's probably a one of the best sci-fi authors of the 20th century because he did work on Star Trek of course I gotta mention that I'm sorry the Twilight Zone and then of course the famous Omega Man story so, um, I, I just love, uh, the performances, uh, everything kind of comes together magically. Uh, it was very, this was a very low budget film. I think it was $4 million altogether. So very low key, uh, all the actors did this film just out of love of the story and just, this little just this little tale that's like oh, this is this has some weight behind it i'm I'm just gonna take a pay cut and um take a chance on this film unfortunately it didn't do well at the box office it kind of disappeared but i i am glad to see that it has a cult following online uh there's a, a fan club that you can join but it's like very expensive so i actually looked into doing that i'm like oh that's a little that's a little much uh it's a little too much for me a little out, out of my price range uh i'll pass I'll just take the the copy and from what I've heard from from somewhere uh somewhere in time wasn't on blurry when I got it on DVD but then of course there's one day I'm browsing in Barnes and Noble and there I see it on blurry I'm like you got to be kidding me so I'll get it on blu-ray eventually uh whenever I see it next and if it's not it's for a reasonable reasonable price cuz there are times where it's like you <clears throat> You're looking for a film online and it's like it's like doubled the price of what what it would be like at a at like a secondhand store and and it's like obviously it's like you want to have the cheaper price it's like you have to pass it up online just hopefully a luck out whenever you're browsing in some random secondhand store and hopefully i'll see it one day and then i'll get to pick it up so uh actually i I managed to last the whole time without uh, making it awkward or anything like that. So quickly wrap up somewhere in time. Four and a half out of five. 
one of my favorite movies, Christopher Plummer, great as always. And it's a real shame that he uh, that he died, but he did live a long life, and I'm I'm glad that he did. He managed to find success in a film career. So my voice is going, so that's perfect. Uh, it's getting hoarse. <laughs> uh, that's about it for today. Uh, not sure what next week's gonna be be like. Uh, I'm not gonna be in the studio next week, so. Hey, and I'm, uh, hopefully you can figure something out. So that's it for today. Uh, you're listening to David Haynes, Magical Movie Hour on KMC Dragon Radio. Thank you for listening. And I don't have too much practice, so I'm a bit rusty on the board, but I'll play the outro now. Thank you for tuning in to David Haynes, Magical Movie Hour. Our new airtime now is from 2.30 to 3.30 every Friday on KMSC Dragon Radio. We're also sponsored by Film Loop, which meets every Tuesday on Zoom. So, with that information, we must part ways, but we will return in one week. Thanks for listening!